In this podcast, Understanding Long Covid and Employers' Response, Occupational Health Specialist and Registered Occupational Health Chartered Physiotherapist Stuart Nottingham, Director at Sun Rehabilitation, explains the impact of long Covid on people, their working lives and what employers and colleagues can do to help employees with long Covid. Stuart is a recognised Occupational Health Chartered Physiotherapist with over 20 years experience in the field of occupational health. He is also an NLP Master Practitioner with a keen interest in ergonomics, active working strategies and mindfulness in the workplace. Outside work, Stuart is a keen cyclist, walker and yogi. I'm Stuart Nottingham and I'm an occupational health physiotherapist and what we um, have found uh, over the last, uh, well since November last year is the demand for um, from businesses to say, hey we've got people off sick with long Covid, whatever that is. Uh, how are we going to get get them better? And we've basically over uh, the uh, or since that time have, have developed processes and systems which explore what is long COVID and how best to rehabilitate these people back into the workplace. And it's the evidence and the background to that work that I'm going to be presenting to you today. So. Well, the first thing is, well, what is it? <laughs> well, as we're going to explore, there is really still no clarity as to what long COVID is. And there is debate and all sorts of issues around, well, okay, how is it best to deal with it? We can see a pathway, but what the pathway I'm going to be presenting now is not the only pathway, as we'll be touching on later. Um, but one thing is for sure, um, sticking our heads in the sand and ignoring the problem is not going to solve the problem. And we as a society, as employers and as health professionals, we all need to be developing and working on systems to optimise the health outcomes for, the, for anybody complaining of long COVID. The biggest problem to me is actually there is so much misinformation and so many stories flying around and they are stories unfortunately because partly because we haven't got data to evidence what we're doing and partly because uh, social media and I've got this I've got this and it's summarized by this one paper which has had a lot of media attention there are 205 different varieties of um, of symptoms from COVID according to this data but of course let's break this down and let's start using some common sense into this you've got three three and three thousand seven hundred respondents from 56 different countries there will be different languages there will be different uh, perceptions of what pain is and what symptoms mean so for instance let's take something we know about back pain certainly it's the core of my business as a physiotherapist if we have somebody talking about lumbago, um, a facet joint blocked or uh, acute back pain, we're talking about the same thing from a clinical level. We're just using different language patterns to express the same core symptoms. So I think we can take this 205 varieties actually with a very large pinch of salt because we're often describing the same thing with different language patterns. So I think we can eliminate that down very, very quickly. But what we have got 
is some very core symptoms that keep cropping up in their functional um, uh, debilitation of people. You know, fatigue, brain fog, breathing patterns. We're talking about breathing patterns quite a lot. Yeah, and inability to uh, actually be able to thrive with movement. Yeah, limitation of movement. These are key elements that we keep seeing. There's all sorts of other things, um, you know, that literally encompass the whole variety of medicine that are reported. But as we're going to look at is that, you know, we've got to take that a little bit carefully at the moment. What we also must think about, and I must stress, is there are people out there who have serious systemic disease becoming apparent as a result of long COVID, or what we believe is long COVID at the moment. Yeah, so heart conditions, pericarditis is regularly reported at the moment, swelling of the heart. And we've got other liver function things that have come through. So it's a case of we must be really mindful that the, the variety of symptoms is enormous. But at one end of the spectrum, there are people with significant pathologies and are going to be requiring significant medical attention over the next year or two years. So it, it's a very unclear picture at the moment and a complex picture. Now, this report states that 80% were women. Um, our work is kind of suggesting maybe that's not true. And uh, certainly we're sharing uh, our work with other people and uh, certainly in England. And uh, we are finding, actually, we think it may be more males than females is our opinion. Uh, but we actually, um, we actually feel that it's actually people 45 to 60 are also becoming the the more prevalent referrals we're getting. Um, we've got a sneaking suspicion that there's an elite to obesity, and certainly there's a link to uh, deconditioning prior to um, the long COVID exposure. That's our view, it's certainly not um, uh, reported, but that's kind of our suspicion at the moment. So we've got a real mixed bag picture lots of all this data is going to change um, over the next year there's no question and i don't think until we get to the end of it we're really going to know what we dealt with um it's almost an irony and no i do believe we'll get to an end on this so what we can do is look at the uh, guidelines that are coming through and work to guidelines and the terminology is or certainly has been in the last few months um changing and i think we just need some clarity before we start and what actually we're talking about here so acute covid according to the national institute of clinical excellence is up to four weeks ongoing four to 12 weeks and post-covid syndrome more than 12 weeks but then we go to long covid can be anything from four weeks to summarize that um, so to me that's rather confusing i don't know about anybody else um, so we tend to just look at the last one um, because obviously as occupational health, the acute COVID services are going to be uh, provided by the acute medical services and the long COVID from four weeks. And our view is that uh, we need to be working with people as soon as possible. Um, they're left, you know, 12 weeks and beyond before we start looking at how have they got long COVID. Half the time we're going to have lost the battle. Get that person turned around and back rehabilitated to their normal lifestyle and work um, quickly. So, 
I'm going to set up a poll here. Um, if you haven't voted already, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, if you can, um, because really we'd like to know, um, you know how, much, how much is it affecting people that you know? How many people are, are, are reporting long COVID symptoms? Um, you know, certainly we know of many, and uh, it's a case of, uh, you know, <laughs> in many ways working in health, we inevitably will know a load. Uh, but it's a case of the distribution of those people we're suspecting is going to be very different from different work courses. So if you're working on intensive care uh, ward, um, your chances of being exposed to uh, acute COVID and then with the fatigue long COVID symptoms coming on afterwards, we think are going to be higher. Again, that's our suspicions. There's no data. So please vote. I'll be really interested in seeing what the results are. Okay, so looking again at what the data is out there, we believe that 10% of people will have symptoms beyond uh, um, uh, 12 weeks. That's from the Office of National Statistics in, in OSN. Uh, sorry, ONS um, is there. The um, long COVID support groups are reporting that out of that, 45% of the, of the uh, people who report uh, uh, symptoms will still have symptoms at seven months. Again, that's a biased um, uh, uh, group because they're on COVID support group. Um, there is no independent data on that. We'll look forward to receiving it at some point. Uh, so, it, it, but uh, you know, it's going to be next year. I'm saying a lot of this data is anything confirmed when it's all over. Yeah. So we reckon that there's a, a, a or the Office of National Statistics, 1.1 million people. That's an enormous number. And if you then start to uh, correlating that into significant symptoms at seven months, well, we've got a bit of a problem on our hands. And um, I think that's going to be apparent to the loading of our NHS services and from the long-term sickness absence uh, 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 ratings within businesses. Key things to bear in mind, there is no correlation at this point between acute COVID symptoms and long COVID symptoms. No correlation whatsoever. Um, some of the people who've had the most horrible stories and have been in ITU seem to bounce back and are fine. And some people who've had the most mild symptoms have got significant long COVID symptoms. How it, it's quite bizarre, uh, but that is what we are seeing uh, ourselves and is being reported in the press. One thing that's also is coming through. Um, is people often get better from the long COVID symptoms, are back at work, smiling, happy, and all of a sudden crash bang well, they go down. And that is a very common re report. And it's something that I think as a, a message for HR and employers is we've got to start looking at how do we protect people and how can we kind of mitigate any, uh, you know, uh, and reduce any, um, um, incidents of this by actually looking at uh, phase return to work and actually protecting people in the first few weeks after they come back from long, uh, from acute COVID to help them to stop them developing long COVID. Um, there's no evidence on this again, but it's a question I think that we need to be asking: is how do we protect people and how what is a reasonable adjustment to attract, uh, protect people? That is where it gets really confusing, in my view. Okay, so 
basically to have long COVID, you don't even need to have had a diagnosis of COVID, acute COVID. So everybody on this call who, even whether you've had acute COVID or not, hopefully not, you could actually now have long COVID. Now, my logical brain has a real problem with this statement. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you have, but that's the way we are. So everybody can basically have a long COVID symptom. So it, it's, from our work, most people we're seeing getting referred to us is have actually had a, a acute COVID positive um, response. But from the NICE guidelines, that doesn't need to be so. So um, that gives me a lot of head scratching at this point. So a case study for you, very quick case study. Police, thought, the police officer, he was positive COVID. Yep. Sedentary job, he was a, a, a detective sergeant. Um, so during the acute COVID, he, he felt absolutely wonderful. So he, in his isolation, he decided to uh, retile and completely renew his bathroom. So great. Okay. Three weeks later, he re reported acute right shoulder pain and fatigue. Uh, the question is that he re re um, attributed all this as a long COVID symptom. Again, I'm kind of scratching my head on this one because it's a case of, well, he's been lifting large nights of tiles and baths and toilets and getting himself into tight corners and stretching his arms. Uh, as a physiotherapist, I'm just wondering whether actually, hmm, as he just strained his shoulder and got a bit of rotator cuff irritation, and is the fatigue simply because he's been doing some physical manual work, which he's not used to. Um, so I think we do need to have some context on this as to actually um, the um, um, the um, as to is everything long COVID? Uh, the fact that that person I've just described is my brother um, <laughs> probably says a lot. <laughs> um, so what do we know? The people who return to work often go sick again with different symptoms. Uh, so. From a Bradford school, how do you deal with that from a, from a HR point of view? How do you deal with it from an OH point of view when people's symptoms completely change? Because the advice and the strategies to return to work are going to be, hang on, we do need to think differently. We know that rehabilitation needs to be aimed at the person because the, well, the 205 potential different symptoms, having a one-size-fits-all solution ain't going to work. It's a, it, it really is as simple as that. It isn't going to work. So rapid return to work, in our view, results in failure. Yeah, as an OH uh, physio, I'm uh, the first one to say, you know, hang on a minute, let's get someone back to work. And get, we know that with things like back pain, and that getting people back into the workplace is healthy, it's good. Who defined work as a healthy state of body and mind? And it's what we need is people back in work and getting them into their normal routines as quickly as possible is a very positive thing to do. It doesn't appear to be so in this case. Pacing, and that's pacing of their return to work strategies, but also pacing of the individual's beliefs and pacing of the way they think. So they're not thinking, I need to get better quickly. I need to be pushing. I need to be doing this and this. And if they feel um, anyway pressured, the pacing we feel goes completely out the window. 
which is a very difficult situation for work to deal with, but that's kind of where we think we are. What we also know when we're assessing people is attention to detail. It's highly important, particularly breathing patterns. Um, give you a, a brief overview of that. We're finding that people who are coming back from long COVID are big apical breathers up here. Their, their breath patterns are shallow. Uh, they're working with their muscles in their neck and they are in discomfort. They're not diaphragmatically breathing by any stretch of imagination. And one of the key things that we're finding is actually we're getting turnaround results is actually by working with breathing patterns. Because if somebody's not breathing freely, there's no way that they're going to be able to be healthy, happy individuals. And your breath is fundamental to healthy life. Statements the obvious. But um, attention to detail, absolutely essential. Well, we've got the other element of this is we are aware that there's an inequality of populations that are getting long COVID and whether that be a BAME population or people who are socially in deprived areas, we know that there's greater um, uh, incidence in these areas. So how does that fit in with the bigger picture? And how do we actually work at predicting um, and treating these people and picking them out as early as possible? It's a, a big sociolo sociological question there as much as a work question, but I think it's one we need to be uh, looking at and addressing. Okay, so when you're looking at a rehab programme and how to get somebody better, yeah, we need to be picking the people out very early. We need to be, early intervention is absolutely fundamental and we needed to be using graded and paced exercise principles. Yeah, we need to be able to support people in their return to work. And we need to be, as a business, as a summary of notation, our, our aim is to be a beacon of good practice and actually look at helping employers support their individuals. And hopefully the, our, the employers we work with also want to be beacons of good practice not only to um, help their employers get back to work, but also demonstrate their credentials as, uh, as good employers. So how do we know that rehabilitation works? There's, and the problem is there's different backgrounds coming to this. Um, we've come with this from a functional restoration programme point of view with people who are deconditioned and don't need to work uh, and are struggling to work in uh, full upstanding roles. And we are, that's our background. So we're running it from a, uh, an FRP perspective. The ME programmes that are in existence are also being used, though I note in Northern Ireland that um, the ME groups are actually protesting against ME programmes being used for, um, uh, for long COVID as they feel as though it's not appropriate. Um, I think there's a layer of politics under that, but it's interesting that's going on. And but certainly in England, we are aware of many ME programmes that are being used for long COVID rehab. And cardiac rehab programmes are also being used. All have some merit, but the problem I've got is the fact that we've got to go keep going back to the one size doesn't fit all. And we need to be looking at this from a bigger picture. Yep. So and I keep going back to, we're finding breathing, breathing, breathing is the key one we need to be working with. That's the one we're getting the biggest success with. Okay, so when's it start safe start exercising? A medical sign off is absolutely essential. Um, 
and we need an initial assessment that's really thorough, um, including the use of a lot of screening tools to check people under PTSD, pericarditis, or any serious injury, uh, illness, or uh, that could be contraindicated to um, uh, any any form of exercise. So, getting it right and getting it safe in the first place is essential. And working as part of a team is also essential. We need to be working with our GPs. We need to be working with our mental health counsellor colleagues. And we need to be working with the medical people when it's appropriate. So part of our role is actually picking the uh, picking the problems and making sure they're put towards the right solutions if they're not uh, in our department. So principles, always early intervention. I can't stress this enough. If you've got somebody who is 20 weeks, say, long COVID, they're going to be quite hard work to turn around. You get somebody sub 10 weeks, and we know that the, the, the evidence we've got, the evidence some people have got, is starting to say, yeah, we get, get good results. What we do with people, it's all about education. It's all about reassurance. It's all about setting them on a pathway to recovery rather than a pathway to helpless and hopeless. And actually getting them moving and believing they're going to move. And when they start, they start moving and all healing, all um, rehabilitation is based on the principle of the rolling stone. The difficulty is getting that stone rolling downhill. Once you've got it rolling, wow, it goes and it's wonderful to watch. So, gold standard, go back to early intervention. So, initial assessments, communication, and safety. We don't because we don't quite know, safety has got to come high in every process and every assessment we look at. So, two very quick case studies. Um, I'll let you read through. So, what we're getting is people who are coming in with mild symptoms and are then having real problems. Shortness of breath. This guy, it, um, it was dealt with by one of my senior colleagues. He was apparently really short of breath and couldn't get into the department the first time. Yeah. Screening, exercise program, return 80% recovery in shortness of breath, 100% recovery in anxiety. If I was short of breath, I would be anxious. So just by, by changing the breath patterns, you often rec recover the. Uh, the, uh, from the anxiety situation, that's not that's not medicine. That's basic logic. Yeah. So uh, what we're doing now is he's getting back, and we're just keeping an eye. Okay. Case number two. Somebody's hospitalised, and he um, uh, he was in pretty bad way. To be honest, a very bad way. So this is the more unusual person, but it's the type of people we see, and. Basically, PTSD, so there's a counselling was required, breath again, 10 sessions of rehab. And he started to get back. He started to recover. We need to get this momentum with these people to get them back to work and get them back to health. So, to wrap up, early intervention is critical. Rehabilitation, in our view, is critical. You, ca you cannot leave people just to drift in this helpless, helpless situation, um, especially when the NHS is not coping and is not dealing with the problem that's been presented to them. 
So slow pacing, absolutely essential. If you're HR, can't stress enough, don't push these people. They're likely to blow up on you if you do. And uh, that's not in anybody's interest. And regular reviews, just to make sure that the people are coping and getting them helpful and getting them back to work. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out Legal Island's range of mental health and wellbeing e-learning training courses for all your employees. Providing all employees with mental health and wellbeing training during employment or shortly after starting their employment and with regular refreshers updates throughout this time can not only provide a productive but a safe workplace for everyone. Visit www.legal-island.ie forward slash wellbeing for more information or you can find the link in the description below.